Turn with me in your Bibles, if you would, to Luke chapter 24. Luke 24. It's on page 884. The Bible's in front of you. And it may surprise some of you, I hope it doesn't depress you, that we have started another week. Uh, It's Sunday. This is the first day of the week. And I don't think we always think of it like that and uh, dare say treat it like that because it's still the weekend. We consider it as such in our minds and in our culture uh, with no school and no work for most of us, often a day where we relax, we recreate, uh, maybe um, you know, we're doing some other odd jobs around the house, but for most, this is a second Saturday, uh, but not for the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, this is a new week. Um, we start a week in worship uh, together. We are resting in God's mercy, uh, in His grace to us in the Lord Jesus. We're celebrating that. We are having our hearts and our minds calibrated by the Word of God as we go into another week. And uh, it's a day that we need, isn't it? It's a day that we need, and God has graciously given us this day uh, to rest in Him and uh, rejoice in His faithfulness. And so it wasn't long after the event that we're going to read about this morning that this first day of the week was considered to be the Lord's Day. Um, You say, well, why the Lord's Day? Doesn't every day belong to the Lord? Don't God's people worship Him really on every day? And yes, that is true. But on the first day of the week, God vindicates His only Son. On the first day of the week, he shows that the sacrifice of Jesus for sin has been accepted. So the very assurance that we have of forgiveness, the very confidence and hope that we have now and for life forever uh, is sealed on this day of resurrection, the first day of the week. And so the body of Jesus has been laid in a borrowed tomb. There's a group of women who followed Uh, watched carefully where the body was placed so that they could return uh, with uh, spices and ointment to honor and care for the lifeless body of Jesus. And this is where we pick up in chapter 24. But on the first day of the week at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the leaven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, and Mary the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb. Stooping and looking in, he saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling. At what had happened. The grass withers, the flower fades, but it is this word, the word of our God, that endures forever. Let's pray together. Lord God, we are so very grateful that on this your day, 
the Lord's Day, Resurrection Sunday, that we can know you more through your word, that you condescend to us and speak in a way that we can understand, in a way that we can learn from and apply to our lives. We do not do this on our own. We are grateful that you indwell us by your Holy Spirit. Spirit, we ask that you would help us now as we consider this word that you would teach us and conform us all the more to the likeness of our risen Savior, the Lord Jesus. It's in his name that we pray, amen. At the chaplain courses that I attended this last summer, there was an evening or an afternoon module on memorial services, funeral services, and the very uh, unique experience of transferring, a dignified transfer of the body that is a return back to home station, that place of uh, burial. And uh, often the, the deceased are brought in by a military cargo plane and honor guard will take or will walk alongside the, the caskets that's removed from the airplane. And, and usually there is a chaplain who will meet with them on the airplane before this happens, just very briefly, uh, for a little reading and time of prayer. Uh, very sobering event. And the school wanted us to experience this in some way. So in small groups, we went into a dark room and we put on these virtual reality goggles. And I was amazed at just the realism and the way it drew out the emotions. Because there I am with the honor guard on the airplane, but I'm not standing next to them. The position is actually sitting or laying on the casket. And what that would be like. Uh, very, very powerful. Uh, I could just I could get a lump in my throat even as I think about that. Um, allowing us to, to process this type of experience even though we are miles away from the flight line, we're nowhere near uh, where this would take place. And so this morning, even though we're nowhere near a cemetery, we're nowhere near the tomb where they laid the body of Jesus, the details that Luke provides for us really take us there with these women um, who want to give honor and dignity to the body of Jesus. We find them perplexed, we find them frightened, we find them unbelieving. And so we're intended to share in this experience and the, the battle of faith that's really taking place here. We want to understand why they responded this way, but also recognize and process for ourselves our own response to this Sunday morning experience. So what do we see? We find surprised people um, who hear a surprising message that summons the response that Luke is after with these details. So these women, we know most of them uh, by name. These are the same group of women who have followed Jesus throughout much of his uh, ministry, perhaps uh, providing, helping to support him. And they return to the tomb and they expect to find a body. Mark's gospel tells us that even while they were on their way, they're talking about how they're going to move the stone a little bit so that they can get inside the tomb. And they get there and they say, well, that's not a problem. It's already been moved. Um, and probably not the you know, five to six foot doorway that we're used to walking in. Probably more like three feet that they had to, to kind of crawl through. We read in verse 12 where Peter had to stoop to look inside. What they expect to see, the body of Jesus, is not there. We've seen a lot of things that we didn't expect to see this last year. Um, people wrapped in plastic 
to hug one another as family. Um, ball games, Disneyland, I'm thinking of these places that were completely emptied of people. You don't expect to see that. Airplane flights to nowhere. Didn't expect to see those things. And you have to say that, that these women were surprised, probably a bit of an understatement. They're perplexed. They're confused. We're at the tomb. What happened? Maybe even a little anxiety here. There, there's no body. What happens now? So the fact that these women are so surprised tells us that they didn't expect anything other than a body when they arrived. It's right here that these surprised women hear the, the first surprising message when these men in dazzling attire show up at the scene. And we have different um, details from different gospel writers here. Was there one, two of them? Were they inside the tomb? Were they outside the tomb? And we can expect that from different authors to different audiences. We have the same event. The clothes of these men are shining brilliantly. Not like the... Um, the gal who puts on her prom dress or the guy in his tux and they're just glowing with emotion and excitement and anticipation. Not like that. Their clothes were physically shining, glowing. First clue that they're not from around here. These are angelic beings who represent the source of their brilliant shining. I don't think they could help this. And the women respond as human beings typically do in the presence of angels. They're on their face, scared to death. It's there that the angel usually start with something like, fear not, or do not be afraid. We don't uh, read those words from Luke, but Matthew includes them in chapter 28. Why do you seek the living among the dead? They've just seen something they don't expect to see. Now they're hearing something they don't expect to hear. And this is, this is present participle here. We're living now. Not was living. Not will be living. But the one they are seeking is living right in that moment. And so unless it's a bad video game or Hollywood horror movie, you don't expect to see the living hanging around a tomb on a Sunday morning. He's alive. You won't find him here. Now talk about a surprising message. And so even before these women are are summoned to respond in a, in a certain way by the angels, that language is really important for what it tells them and for what it tells us. It tells us that these ladies were not at the wrong tomb. Maybe you've heard that argument. You know, the women were so overcome the night before, so tired, uh, so overcome with emotion that they can't see straight, couldn't remember which tomb Jesus was laid in. But that argument just isn't, isn't going to fly. It tells us that the body of Jesus wasn't stolen by anyone. The body isn't there because it's living. Not still dead, but just moved to another place. It also tells us that the body of Jesus actually perished. He didn't just pass out after hanging on that cross and being pierced and stabbed and stay unconscious for 8 to 12 hours and then wake up in the, in the tomb clean things up a little bit, move the stone and leave and the guards didn't know anything about it. Um, no, his body had perished and it was there, but no longer. The same body, the body of Jesus is alive. So surprise women, they hear a surprising message and then they take this back to the disciples. Now we have the reverse 
in, uh, in 8 through 11. Surprising message and surprised people in the disciples. I mean, you know, we weren't there. We can't. But it's, it's almost like you can see their faces. You can see the expression uh, from these women. We were on our way to the tomb. We were going to move the rock and we didn't have to. And then we saw these men and they told us that Jesus was gone. We could hardly look at him when they were saying this. Could it be that what Jesus said could have happened? Um, sit down, ladies. Take a breath. It's been a long night for all of us. Um, they don't believe them. Um, sounded like some fairy tale, really good fairy tale. And it's coming from women after all. And that, that's, that's part of the context we need to understand. Okay, it sounds strange to us and for good reason, but the words of women in this culture weren't, uh, weren't considered you know, highly regarded. They, they, couldn't, they couldn't even be used in the court of law. And so the impression by most men was that women were, were given to hysterics and, and were intellectually untrustworthy. Um, which, by the way, is a huge stamp of reliability on this account. Okay, if someone is going to make this up and expect people to believe it, then they're going to use an account from a male, not a female, because of the cultural bias. Um, isn't God's word amazing? How it uses this, these cultural conditions of the time to actually validate the truth. But it's a, it's a bias here that, well, shouldn't be found anywhere, especially in the life of the church. The church, we should be leading the way, upholding the honor and dignity of women as fellow image bearers of God. And we have an understanding now that it's usually the guys who are playing catch-up to the maturity and intellectual abilities of women. Equal in dignity and honor and value with different roles and responsibilities for human flourishing and the glory of God who made us male and female. So that, that's underneath the unbelief of the disciples. But there's more we can draw out here uh, from verse 11. Uh, surprising message to surprise disciples. But maybe their unbelief is not as remote to our experience as we think. Just consider the, the psyche of the disciples for a moment. They had followed Jesus. They had listened to Jesus. They had performed miracles in his name. They had some pretty high expectations of the kingdom that had come in the flesh and what that would be. And now Jesus is dead and that flesh is in the grave. So any confidence and hope that these disciples would have had has been crushed. So to believe what these ladies are saying to them just sets them up for more disappointment. I mean, it's, it's really too good to be true. Why should they believe this and just get crushed again? And we understand this because we operate in the same way. How many times over the last year have you been disappointed because something you had planned didn't end up happening? Activities you were looking forward to, people that you were looking forward uh, to seeing, spending some time with, and COVID reactions just left you at home. And so even right now, in this moment, as we're making those plans for a few weeks out, making plans for the summer, you know, I'd love to go to General Assembly. I'd love for our kids to go to RYM in different places. 
maybe visit some family. But we're, we're holding on to these things loosely, not sure if they're going to happen, and we don't want to be disappointed again. Now let's, let's relate that to our, well, just to the attitude of our hearts, our own spiritual psyche. We read God's word, we hear of his faithfulness, we can testify and bear witness to his provision in our lives, but we're still in the shadow of the curse. We're still sinning, we're still being sinned against. Opposition to the Christian worldview just continues to grow. We still get hurt and have to face death. Some of us have faced death in this last year those that we know and love. And we grieve with the Buck family, the McLeods, the the Gorders. I saw the body of my grandfather laid into the ground this last year. Could it be that because we don't want to face disappointment, that we are slow to believe the promises of God? Slow to believe what this empty tomb means. We have not seen Jesus' body. We, you know, he hasn't returned yet. And though we read that over and over again, just you know, take, take a pulse check on your faith for a moment. What is your confidence level right now in what Jesus has said? That takes us right to Luke's main point here. That summoned response. Surprise people hear a surprising message and it summons a response to remember. The angel says to these women, remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee. The Son of Man must be delivered in the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day arise. And they remembered his words. So do you see what Luke, the historian, is doing here? In order for these ladies, in order for the disciples, in order for anyone to make sense of an empty tomb, they must remember what Jesus said. Remember what the Scriptures say. Apostle Paul is just adamant about this. 1 Corinthians 15. And outside of the historical narrative, 1 Corinthians 15 is the most significant chapter in the New Testament on the importance of the resurrection. Here's what he said, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. Remember God's Word to you. And so the angel summarizes what Jesus told the disciples in at least three different places recorded in Luke. He'd be handed over, He would be crucified, but on the third day, rise. He would do this. Jesus is in full control over the giving of his life and it's taking his life back up again. And did you notice that in this passage we read, Jesus doesn't make an appearance as he does in the other gospel writers. It's the words of Jesus, the according to the scriptures part that Luke really wants us to focus on. Do you and I trust the very words of Jesus? Do we trust the Word of God, the Word that's unfolded right in front of you as having the power to generate faith and sustain our faith? Trusting in the Word of God, in the words of Jesus, is how we fight against unbelief. It's how we grow in grace. Dr. Legan Duncan, he, uh, he said that it was the Word of God that interprets our lives 
It frames our understanding of everything else. So the, the frustration, the disappointment, the tragedy, the loss in our lives. We're constantly wrestling with things, bringing them before the Lord. And it's, it's God's word that feeds us and encourages us, comforts us. God's word produces faith and then waters that faith. And you know how this works as you spend time in God's word. I mean, you can, you can read a passage 100, 200 times, but you read it and that's exactly what you needed to hear for that day or for that season of life. Remember, when we remember, we're just, we're just stopping and, and really looking back uh, right about this time of year when the daffodils start to, to bloom along the, the west side of, of our house on the fence there. I just stop and I look at them because it reminds me of when we first moved to Arkansas. Just a little, a little way that I can stop each year and look back. Stop and look back. God's word is your guide in this. It will show you his faithfulness. It will show you his provision, his leading, his protection. Um, look back and remember. It will feed the hope for what is to come. And that, it may have done that for Peter. Now there's some in response here in verse 12. Peter hears this surprising message, doesn't believe it, and yet he takes off running for the tomb. John reminds us that he wasn't the only one who was running to the tomb and who the better sprinter was. But here it's Peter, and perhaps like the women who remember the words of Jesus, Jesus is remembering, or Peter is remembering something. He wants to forget the last time that he was with Jesus, where Jesus' eyes met his own, they were full of hurt and pain. It's not an experience he wanted to remember. Could it be that what he heard was true? Could there be some glimmer of hope here? So it says he went home marveling. He wondered. He was amazed. What could this possibly mean? So it's a good response on Peter's part. doesn't mean Peter believed yet. He's not out ready to go preaching but something incredible had just happened. It's not until Jesus actually appears to Peter and the other disciples that what has happened on this Sunday morning really sinks in. But before they're given eyes to see, faith that feeds their message, the tomb must be empty. Must be. And for us, at this time, at this place, what Peter sees and confirms for us we rejoice in because we know what this means. The tomb was empty. Jesus has defeated death. Death does not have the last word for him or for those who believe. The God of the living, Matthew 22, shows his nature. He proves himself true by an empty tomb. And so Christianity, friends, Christianity stands or falls on what has happened on this Sunday morning. I mean, is it any wonder that the resurrection was at the heart of what the apostles preached. And one commentator makes this assessment, and I, I think it's, it's very accurate, that the writings of Luke, both in this gospel and in, uh, in the work of Acts, uh, are responsible more than any other in the New Testament for presenting Christianity as a religion of resurrection. It's a religion of resurrection. No other belief system, no other life-transforming relationship is based on this. And it must be so. If the tomb is not empty, Jesus is not alive, and we believe this, 
And I think of our study in Ecclesiastes over these last few months, and we'd be, we'd be in the, the camp of the fool. It's not a place you want to be. But he has risen, and he reigns, granting new life now and forever. And so the title that we now carry is Redeemed Children of God. Salvation has come in Christ. So when we look into that empty tomb, we see eternity, that death is no more. So Jesus is exactly who he said he is, exactly who the prophets proclaimed him to be. He's accomplished what he came to do. By his death, he has delivered his people from the slavery of sin. By his resurrection, he has conquered death itself. His kingdom has come already here in the life of his church, but you're not yet fully. We still hurt. We still face death. But the day is coming when that will all be gone. We will dwell with our God in resurrected glory forever. Forever. Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. Do you believe this word? Do you believe the word of Jesus and his promise? May we be found faithful to the risen Christ, not living in fear of disappointment, but with joyful anticipation for what is to come. Would you pray with me? Lord God, could there be any greater news than what we are told happened on this day, that the tomb was empty, and that what these women disciples expected to see was not there, but what you had said was true, that you were alive, and you are alive now and reigning in righteousness. Lord, may we be those who remember, who cling to your word and hope, who cling to the promise of life anew, now and forever in Jesus. Lord, it's a hope that gets us out of bed tomorrow morning. Gets us through our day. We thank you for this day, resurrection day, that feeds us and encourages us and moves us to love you more as we go into a new week. We pray this all in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.